And we're live. Stefan, how you doing? Hey, I'm great. How you doing, Caleb? I'm doing fantastic. I'm ready to talk about argumentation ethics, but but first, let me uh, tweet the link out to my Twitter so that makes sure um, people can hop in the chat. Cause I, I have people people are texting me questions, and I'm like, hop in the chat and ask them. So let me just tweet this out. There we go. Okay, then. So, first off, I'm pretty sure everybody let's see, knows who you are. Uh, we're going to give, give a quick little introduction for those who might search up argumentation ethics and this might pop up. I'm Stefan Kinsella. I'm a libertarian writer and I'm a patent attorney in Houston, Texas. That's about it. That's great. So, how did you how, argumentation ethics? First, how, how did you first hear about this, uh, this idea? So, uh, argument. Let me let me just explain what it is briefly. Argumentation ethics is a an argument, uh, a justification for for libertarian rights that Hans Hermann Hoppe, who's a German uh, philosopher and libertarian, who's an Austrian economist and a Rothbardian, uh, he came up with in the in the mid eighties. Um, as an alternative to the other types of justifications for rights, which would be like the natural law. Or teleological approach, you know, that we get our rights from our nature as man, or God gives them to us, um, or utilitarian or consequentialist arguments for liberty, like uh, it works better, um, you know, it produces more goods, whatever. So his argument was sort of in between or, or different, and he came up with it in the mid '80s, and I came across it because um, uh, what happened was. Um, Hoppe had been a sort of a leftist grad student in Germany, and he discovered the radical libertarian school of Rothbard and the Austrian economics of Mises and the Austrians, and ended up uh, moving to the United States in 1985 to study under and to, to work with uh, Murray Rothbard. So he was with Rothbard for the 10 years until Rothbard died in 1995. So he was over here in the U.S., uh, promoting uh, sort of hardcore praxeological Austrian economics, radical anarchist libertarian politics of Rothbard and his own uh, growing views, which he announced in several books, uh, a few books. But what? Uh, but in the in the in the mid 80s, there was uh, some publications by the Mises Institute, like the Austrian Economics Newsletter and things like that. Mm -hmm. So he had one or two little articles or interviews in there, like I don't know, 85, 86, 87, and some seminars where he started presenting argumentation ethics. Um, but it it finally got attention of libertarians when he published. Uh, uh, a version of it in Liberty Magazine in 1988, um, and it was called The Ultimate Justification of the Libertarian Ethic or something like that, uh, and that's where I came across it. I was in law school at the time. I was a freshman in law school, and I was reading avid, avidly reading Reason Magazine and Liberty Magazine because that's that's all there was at the time, things like that, mm -hmm. the free market newsletter, uh, the foundation, foundation for Economic Education's publication, The Freeman. Um, yeah, this before the internet. So I I saw Hoppe's argument presented in Liberty Magazine in '88, and I was fascinated by it and devoured it. We can go into what it is if you want, but that's that's how I came across it, and that's how it gained uh, some notoriety in the libertarian movement. So, what exactly is argumentation ethics? What does it seek to prove, and how does it go about doing it? Argumentation ethics uh, is an attempt to show 
that the libertarian ethic that all of us libertarians uh, favor and push and promote is not only the ethic that provides the most goods and benefits to people, like has a consequentialist or utilitarian side, and not only is it compatible with our nature as human beings, like we're individuals, we're not part of a collective, um, we need to work to survive, we, uh, to flourish, um, but also that any other competing ethic, which would basically be the socialist ethic. So the idea is that either you own yourself or someone else owns yourself and the product of your labor or – I don't actually like that formulation, but like external resources in the world that we, we usually talk about people owning, like goods. Um, so the fundamental alternative is either you own it or someone else owns it. So there's either self-ownership or slavery. That's sort of the fundamental alternative, and the libertarian, of course, favors self-ownership. And now they favor it for different reasons. They favor it for natural law reasons or natural rights reasons, or they favor it because it works. It's more practical. Um, but Hoppe pointed out that any argument opposing this is self-contradictory, and therefore it implodes. And so the only argument that remains standing as a possible, viable, justifiable political ethic is the libertarian ethic, um, and the reason is… That he points out something he 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 learned from his his uh, PhD advisor Jürgen Habermas, who's a famous mm -hmm. leftist German philosopher, and his sort of partner in crime uh, Karl Otto Appel. Uh, they pioneered this thing called discourse ethics or argumentation ethics in in Europe, and they tried to argue that there are certain norms or normative assumptions. That is like ought statements that are implicit in the activity of arguing, coming together with other people to argue for the truth or falsity or justifiability of a given proposition. So there are certain norms that they that accompany them by nature of the of the context of the discourse itself. And whatever those norms are, you could never come up with a proposal that would contradict those because you're you're in the context of an argument with other people. Which has certain normative presuppositions, and you're coming up with an argument. Uh, you're proposing something that's contradictory to that. So you're you're, you're basically urging a contradiction, and con we know the contradictions can be true. So then the question is, what are these norms? Like, what are these basic norms that people presuppose is true by virtue of participating in argumentative discourse? Um, and Appel and Habermas had sort of a uh, more of a democratic democratic socialist. Loosey goosey philosophical thing where you know you have to have democracy and everyone has to have a voice and has to have some vote and has to have a say so. Hoppe isolated the essence of that, which is that look, if you're going to have two people come together to discuss what's a just norm or rule of behavior for us to adopt, um, we're both recognizing that each one of us is a self owner because we're respecting each other's bodily integrity by virtue of talking with each other. So self-ownership has to be presupposed right away. So you can't you can't say that I here am sitting down in an argument with you and I'm going to propose slavery because if I'm saying the norm that I propose is that I get to dominate you or I get to own your body, then that's not – that's incompatible with the fact that I'm recognizing that you own your body to participate in the discourse 
to consider my arguments validity or not. And and second of all, you're not going to you're not going to accept that. Why would you accept my my preference that I get to own you? Why don't you say, well, I can own you, and then we don't have an argument or a discussion anymore? So it's sort of a some people call it a meta norm or a transcendental argument. That's in a sense, it's 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 similar to the way Ayn Rand argued for some of her axioms, and it's similar to the way Mises argues for some of his a priori economic insights. Like they basically get to the point that uh, they they point out that certain propositions um, are undeniably true. They're undeniably true because to deny them would result in a contradiction. And since we know that contradictions are false, then we know that uh, you know uh, that what you're denying has to be true. So that's sort of a summary of it. Now, from the libertarian point of view, Hans argues that you know the presuppositions or argument is that people come together and they it's a practical affair. It's not just an abstract thing. People actually have to own their bodies and control their bodies, and they have to be alive, which means they had to be able to control resources to live in this world. And they have to have some standing room. So there's a whole host of physical control of resources outside of your body that are implicated in the activity of hu practical human argumentation. And that means that people have to have the right to use resources, which means the first ownership principle of Locke. So basically, Hoppe grounds Locke and homesteading rules, which is self-ownership plus the first user of a resource is the better owner than someone else. He grounds that in the implicit norms of argumentation. So it's a way of if it's a way of showing that libertarianism is true because no other system is coherent. That's basically what it is, in my view. Mm. I don't know if Hans would put it this way, by the way, but this is this is my uh, this is my reformulation. Mm. Mm. That's a lot of information. Give, give me a moment to kind of see if I have any uh, questions from there. Um, so. How would you go about doing this? Like, if you were in a discussion with somebody, like I've seen people on Twitter make uh, argumentation ethics, but it always seems to me when someone tries to argue self ownership through argumentation ethics, it's more of a fun linguistic trick to play on somebody. Whereas, like, oh, you can't argue against me because you're performing a performing a contradiction. Right, right. It, but I, it seems it's a very philosophically sound and structured argument here. But a lot of times I see it used as kind of using this jokey, messing around, this trick way. So how how would you go about? Like, how would you engage the argument of I owe myself through this principle? Yeah, I think I think the, what's important to recognize is that Hoppe's argument is it's like a meta argument. It's it's not really it's it, the hypothetical construct of imagining two people in discourse. It's not it's not meant to say that you and I sitting down arguing with each other have to admit libertarian principles. What it's meant is to show that it's impossible. Like it's 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 meant to show to you. By thinking about the context of this, that any proof of anything other than a libertarian norm is impossible. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, it's not meant to appeal to criminals or to statists because they're not they're not always open to reason anyway. If they were, they wouldn't be criminals, right? Uh, you know, someone who's trying to threaten your life um, is not concerned about justifying it. They just want to do what they can do, and they use force to do it. And for those people, as Hoppe says, we treat them as, as just a technical problem. Like, there are some people that will violate rights, and we have to remember that rights are normative; they're not descriptive. They're prescriptive; they're not descriptive. They're not they're not causal laws of nature. 
like gravity that cannot be violated. They are they are prescriptive laws that people can violate. The fact that people can violate rights and they can violate these norms means that they're not self-enforcing, right? Which means that the power of these ideas is not necessarily to protect you like some kind of force field, like an incantation, like you can ma you can utter a magic spell that will repel, you know, a lion or a tiger or a criminal who's coming at you. You know, your words may have no effect on them because they don't care about words. So when some people say that, well, argumentation ethics is not persuasive, as if that's some kind of defect in the argument. Uh, I mean, you imagine whatever argument you have for liberty, presuming you're a libertarian, arguing with me. And this is the funny thing about argumentation ethics. It gets the most flack from other libertarians. So you have all these libertarians who presumably agree with libertarian principles for some reason, right? I think half of them have no good reason for it, but they believe in it for some reason, so they're libertarians. They value peace and prosperity. They value property rights. They oppose violence and mayhem and, and, and human chaos and conflict and violence, right? Um, and yet here we have someone explaining that, yes, and the values that you hold and the values that I hold, that we all hold together, those are the only ones that make sense. And you have some of the people saying… I don't like you because you're saying that only the, the values that we hold together, they're the only ones that make sense. It's like they want to give a pass to the fascist or the theocrat or the aggressor or the or you know. Um, I don't even understand that. They have no argument for liberty, and yet they're upset with someone who has an argument for liberty. So that's been one of the criticisms of Hoppe. Uh, another one is that like like I said, they say, Well, well, your argument is false because it's possible to imagine a master arguing with his slave, like back in ancient Greece or somewhere. Like you have a, a daily parlor session where you argue with your slave, and then you, you send him back to the fields or to, to work as a slave. Well, Hoppe would say, yeah, that's that's all that proves is that you can be consistent. Like so you're treating him like a slave at one minute, and then you're treating him like a free person while you're discussing things with him. But if you're trying to just justify owning him as a slave… That's incompatible with your treating him like a free person when you're trying to give him the argument. So the point is that you should not treat him like a slave. I mean, so the fact that argumentation ethics is not some kind of self-enforcing incantation that you can wield against a bad guy is irrelevant. And this is the problem that a lot of libertarians have that are activists, and they, they all that matters to them is what works. So you'll mm -hmm. see this libertarian; they'll say, "Well." I mean I've seen moderate libertarians who are I, – I think they're for legalizing the whole drug war, but they don't want to say that because they're in the libertarian party or something, and you know, they'll say marijuana should be decriminalized, but they don't want to say cocaine and heroin should be because that will turn off voters. Mm. So what they're doing is they're substituting persuasiveness with truth. Now I have no problem saying – Look, it is true that we should legalize all drugs, but it's also the case that that won't sell in this political climate, so we should focus on marijuana legalization. Nothing wrong with that, but then you're distinguishing tactics and strategy and activism from truth. But a lot of libertarians, they bind those two together. They can't separate mm -hmm. them. So if you, if you propose something that won't work, they will say it's not true, which is just not – that's not accurate. right? Mm -hmm. So the fact that my – Stating that I have a right not to be murdered doesn't work to persuade a murderer not to kill me. 
that doesn't mean that I was wrong. Mm. It just means that it's possible to violate rights. Mm. That, that's a good point. Though. It's like, like the idea. It's a really, it's kind of a you're right. It's a meta argument. You know, it's not really meant to be like a super convincing against people who already don't re- re- recognize rights, reason, and that kind of stuff. It's just meant to kind of give you a a guide to know. Hey, even if the guy is going to force you or not engage the argument, like he can't consistently engage, and we care about consistency. They don't, but we ask why we're better than them. Um. So, to me, it, I noticed that it kind of um, it seemed like uh, Hopper really liked uh, Rothbard. He seemed to be a big fan, um, and like Rothbard was big on natural law. So why did why do you think Hopper is all natural? Did he see natural law as an insufficient argument, or did he try to make an improvement? Like what, what what's the issue with the natural law arguments Rothbard would make that led to the creation of argumentation ethics? I think the fundamental problem Hoppe saw with natural law, there, I, I would say there's two two problems with the standard natural law arguments. Um, um, and Rothbard, by the way, basically admitted this. Like after Hoppe came out with his argumentation, at least Rothbard said, "Oh, Hoppe has basically broken a log jam in philosophy, and he's improved upon my own my own sort of neo-libertarian." You know, natural law argument for rights. Um, so, the standard natural law argument is that humans, by their nature, uh, have certain rights, or that certain things are wrong and right based upon human nature. And one criticism of that view is the logical criticism of the Kantian Humean, which Hoppe is, which is that. Uh, Hume's insight that you cannot derive – you can't logically derive a normative or an ought statement from an is statement. Mm-hmm. You can't go from description to prescription. Um, this is what Hume, Hume, Hume pointed out that like every time someone says because things are this way, therefore they should do this, you always sneak in a norm. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a norm sneak in as long as – I mean not sneak, but there's nothing wrong with inserting norm as long as you explicitly recognize it. So that's in a sense what Hoppe does. He says, look, there are norms. The norms are the people – the norms that the people that are civilized, that participate in civilized political discourse, that they happen to have, but they necessarily have by virtue of being members of a political discourse community. Um, so the first problem is the logical problem that… Natural law can't go from an is to an ought. You have to sneak in or have an ought put in there, and if you're going to do that, you might as well be explicit about it and name it and then show whether it's arbitrary or subjective or whether it's somehow undeniable, which is the argument of argumentation ethics. And the second problem is that um, human nature is very… There are certain characteristics of human nature, like we're rational animals. But beyond that, I mean, it's not very precise. It's very vague and diffuse. So, from the general confines of the features that we all share together as being humans, which is basically rationality, right? And soci- being social beings and being rational, um, and having the same chromosomes, which is arbitrary, right? But um, uh, you can only get so much from that. Like, for example, one community might have one preference for. A certain cultural norm, and another might have another. So the problem is you have like the dominant Western cultures or whatever elevate their cultural and personal and current norms to like this natural law thing. Like the like the classic example is the way Robert Anton Wilson 
mocked the Catholic Church with his anti-natural law uh, broadside, which is called uh, 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 natural law or don't put a rubber on your willy. So what he was saying, you know, so the Catholics argue that, you know, and there's a heavy, there's a heavy linkage between the Catholic, the Roman Catholic natural law tradition, and the libertarian and Thomistic and Lockean and Rothbardian natural law tradition, right? They all kind of go together. But then you have these people like the Catholic Church will say things like, not only does every man have equal rights, like which is something you could argue from natural law. Um, Although it violates the is ought gap, but you could argue that. Um, but but like uh, uh, it's natural for everyone to be heterosexual and to have children and to not use condoms because birth control is immoral. Because that's their per that's their particular Roman Catholic belief. Mm -hmm. So they elevate it to the status of some universal law, and they they claim natural law as the source of it. I mean, even Ayn Rand did this kind of stuff. You know, like she didn't like. Rachmaninoff, so Rachmaninoff became objectively evil music. So she, even she couldn't help the lure of using some general theory to justify your particular preferences. Mm -hmm. But people don't like to admit that their preferences are just particular because they want to say that they're natural and they're universal, right? Yeah. <laughs> they want to impose them on everyone else. <laughs> yeah. So the two problems with natural law is that it violates the is-ought problem and it tries to get too much from general vague abstract human human nature mm -hmm. what hoppe does is number one he sidesteps the is ought gap by by just pointing to the fact that when you justify a norm in discourse you do happen to have some norms that are part of the discourse itself so those are the norms that uh, they're not arbitrary they're part of discourse and justification itself right and number two he focuses on not human action in general and not human nature in general, but on our nature as communicating agents. So he, he focuses on discourse itself because that's what's essential to justifying any norm. You have to have communication, and you can't deny this because that would be a communication which would be a contradiction. right? So, so basically he roots his whole theory in the narrow subset of human action called communication or discourse. And that has a more of a specific, specified contour. Like to have discourse, you have to have two acting independent agents, and they have to be existing, and they have to live in the real world. And so that's where you get the Lockean rules come from that. Um, is, 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 there's a lot going on, and so I'm trying to wrap my head around it because we're going through like a bunch of is art gap philosophy. Let's just give me a moment to... I, I really don't have any more questions, honestly. Like, it's a very, it's a very um, philosophically sound argument, but also a very simple argument. Well, I'll, I'll give you if you, I'll give you a couple of other points of material to think Please about. Do. Number, number one, some people have asked, like, what's, uh, how can this be built upon? Like, how could it be extended? Because it has received a certain amount of attention over the years, a lot of critics, a lot of supporters, um, and like Rothbard thought that you could take this general approach, which he calls axiomatics, and you could maybe extend it. Uh, further, like I, I just met. Uh, uh, there's a Polish legal philosopher in um, who I just met in Turkey, uh, Bog, uh, Dob Dobran Bog Bogdanovich. I'm trying to get his name right. I probably mangled it, uh, but he argues that there's more than just the interpersonal norms of of the non-aggression principle that are implied. 
Um, there are other there are other more basic norms, and you could make an argument for that. Like for example, you could say that you could never argue that dishonesty is a value because the very purpose of any discourse is to find the truth about some matter, mm. right? So you could make an argument that there are other uh, apolitical norms that are that are that can be proven by axiomatics, like the value of the, the standard virtue of honesty, for example, or truth. And I think you actually can, but I think you get into philosophy then and not just political theory. And the point is it still doesn't have anything to do with rights. Like just because you say that it's incoherent to argue for dishonesty as a as a universal norm, it doesn't mean that it's a rights violation or that it, the, the, it doesn't mean that a law that banned dishonesty is justified. So you have to keep pol politics separate from regular mm -hmm. norms. Right. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, so I myself, you asked me how I got interested. It was in I was in law school in 1988 and I was fascinated. But one reason I was interested in Hoppe's theory was because I was studying contract theory at the time. And there's a theory that undergirds contract law in the West, and that's called estoppel. And so I use this idea of estoppel to develop sort of my own offshoot of Hoppe's theory, which has some different um, applications and implications. But you know, in my own work, I mean, my own work has been promoting Hoppe's work, but also mm -hmm. developing my own theory, which is estoppel. So anyone who's interested in this topic, I have a blog post um, and I have some resources on my website, stephancasella.com, where I have uh, links to my work and Hoppe's work and the work of other people criticizing and elaborating on Hoppe's argumentation ethics. I will put a link to that website in the description for anybody who wants to read more. I highly suggest you do because I'm going to go to after this podcast and do some more reading and research because this is a very interesting, uh, very interesting idea. Sally, we're running up. We only got like about four minutes left. Uh, I want to ask you real quick. You're doing a Soho Forum debate, aren't you? At um, on uh, IP, right? Yeah, next month in November. This is October right now. To the for people listening, fifty years when the world mm -hmm. has changed. Um, yeah, it's October 2021. I'm doing a debate with uh, Richard Epstein at the Soho Forum in New York City on November 15th on the topic of uh, patent and copyright law. Yes, that's gonna be fun. I I'm I'm, look, I'm looking forward to that one. The, the IP stuff is very copyright law, IP that kind of stuff. It's very interesting. I'm very very excited for this debate. Um, have you debated him before, or are you kind of this is your first time debating him? Or well, he moderated. Uh, he's a he's a law professor at NYU, and he moderated a panel I was on about nine years ago. 10 years ago um, at NYU on intellectual property. So I was on a panel with with two other IP uh, experts discussing our views on IP and Richard Richard uh, moderated it and we had we had lunch and we met and we're friends and I I respect the guy highly. Um, I just have a disagreement with him on on this one issue intellectual property. Awesome. Well, uh I gotta have a note, uh, Stefan. Where, where can people find you at? Uh, NS Kinsella. N is for Norman, so NS Kinsella at Twitter and Facebook, and I'm uh, StephanKinsella.com. And my IP views are at c4sif.org, but just go to StephanKinsella.com. You can find everything there.
And if anyone wants to hear more of his IP stuff, I have an episode with Stefan on uh, explaining me like I'm five intellectual property. And so it's a great episode. Highly recommend it. Um, that's it. Uh, Stefan, you have anything else you want to add before we wrap it out? No. Awesome. Thanks for well, thanks for the time and the attention. No problem. This is a thanks for coming on. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, well, everybody, uh, this is another episode of the first episode of Face Liberty and Praxis to rename. Um, go weed hopper. <laughs>